Uh, anyone watch the game last night? Yeah, you stayed up late? Look at these. Yeah, faithful fans. Uh, my family and I are really big Ohio State Buckeye fans. Husband just graduated from there recently, and uh, I've uh, been following the games since, gosh, I was a little girl, and I've seen many, what, ups and downs throughout the years, right, <laughs> with the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, they've had some good seasons, some bad seasons, but uh, the best one that I can remember is 2014, right? National championships went all the way, right? What's so sweet about this victory, though, was we were, we were totally not supposed to win this, right? We were the underdogs. We were not favored to win at all. We were the younger team. We had already lost a pivotal game. Oh, do you remember that one to Virginia Tech? That was a hard loss. And our two top quarterbacks got injured during the season. We were on our third string quarterback. Everyone, everyone thought our season was over, right? You remember this? No one thought we could do it, but we did. And there's something about, there's something about defeat that makes success all the sweeter, doesn't it? I mean, we all love a good Cinderella story. We all love a good Cinderella story, right? Where, where there's no chance that they're gonna win and then, then they fight hard and they don't give up and then in the end they win, right? Anyone ever seen the movie Rudy? I mean, who, I mean, a grown man cries every time he watches that last scene where Rudy's like put up on the you know, guy's shoulders and just cheered off the, off the field. Another great inspirational football film if you haven't seen it. But it, it just, it gets, gets at something in us, doesn't it? It stirs us up. We get, we get emotional and, and, and we, we start to think, well, maybe, just maybe. What I'm facing in my life right now, the defeat, the hardship, the pain, maybe this isn't the end. Maybe this isn't the end for me. Maybe there's a way through this. Maybe there's something, something that God wants to do and that it's possible to keep going amidst that defeat. Well, today we're continuing to talk um, in our series called Joshua, A Person of Influence. It's been a great series so far. And, and we know what we know about Joshua and what we've learned about him is that he was born in adversity, okay? He was born in slavery in Egypt. He was there when the Israelites went through the exodus with Moses out of Egypt, right? He was there. And, and he was there when they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, and Joshua was the, the successor, you know, Moses' right-hand man, his, his successor, and, and he became one of the greatest leaders of the Israelite nation, and I mean, he ended really well. He ended really well, and yet, his road was not paved with utter success either. <laughs> and I, I don't know about you, but I find that really comforting. I find that really comforting to look at Joshua and go, okay, well, even he didn't face utter success throughout his life. Because why? We all fail, right? We all trip and fall. We all have things that, that, that trip us up in life. Every one of us faces hard times, defeat and heartache. But how? How do we keep going despite of these things? Despite these things, how do we keep going? And what we see in Joshua today, what we're going to look at today in the chapter, we actually see how Joshua responds to a defeat, how he responds. 
And this is not only impactful for the Israelite nation at the time and, and what they went through and what they faced, but it speaks to us today. Because with God's guidance and with his help, we can actually move beyond defeat. Amen. Okay, well, let's pray and just invite the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that whatever we're going through today, that, that we can find in your word encouragement and hope and a way forward. And you promise, you promise to be here to help us and guide us through the darkness. And I know there are probably people here today that are just trying to hang on. And I pray this message would be an encouragement to them, God. And for those who are struggling even with the notion of faith, especially faith in you, I pray that something I say today would help them to believe. And I pray that no matter what I say, people would hear from you today, Jesus, that you would be revealed. Would you just fill me with the Holy Spirit right now in the name of Jesus? Amen. Amen. Well, we pick up our story in Joshua in chapter 7 today. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the side of the stage and also in the back. You're free to take that with you even today. And uh, we're going to look at Joshua 7, 1 through 5. This is right after the first, one of the most first and most famous battles that the Israelites face in the Promised Land, which is the Battle of Jericho, right? We've heard of the battle, you know, marching around, okay, there's songs that I remember when I was growing up, you know, about marching around Jericho, and that's the famous battle. So that's our first and most famous victory. What we don't know is that the very second battle is utter defeat. And that's what we're looking at today. So Joshua 7, one through five. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi and son of Zimri, son of Zerah and the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east, to Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out the city of Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send just two or 3,000 men to take it. We don't have to weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the gate, city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. When Joshua, what Joshua doesn't know and what we find out right away in the very first verse is that one of his people had sinned. And God was very clear, if we remember back in Joshua chapter one, he's very clear that he would be with them if they obeyed his commands. Because they were not like other armies that, that battled during this day. They didn't plunder for their own gain. They plundered for the Lord. And those things were, were special. Those things were set apart for the Lord but Achan, Achan actually covets certain objects and actually goes into like what he actually covets and what he takes. And he takes it for himself and he hides it. He actually buries it under his tent, hoping no one will know. <laughs> and this is why they actually lose the battle. And this is why 36 of their men are struck down on the slopes of Ai. And it's not a huge loss, right? You think, well, okay, it's 3,000, 36 out of 3,000, you know? But 
But the Israelites were so confident coming off that victory of, of Jericho, weren't they? I mean, they were like, ah, we just ate 3,000, we've got this covered. And in the face of everything that God had promised them, I mean, this is called the promised land. In the face of everything God had promised them, it actually says their hearts melted in fear and became like water. They were wrecked. They were wrecked. This wasn't supposed to go this way. So the first thing that we see Joshua do in verse six here, we see him run to the Lord. He runs to the Lord. Joshua doesn't know what just happened. I mean, he's been blindsided by this defeat and people, people everywhere just grieving and they're, they're scared. Wasn't God supposed to be on our side? Wasn't he supposed to be on our side? And when you and I, when we've been blindsided by failure, that's how we feel too, right? It is disorienting. It's confusing. But when our feet have been taken out from underneath us, where do we run? Where do we run in those hard times? Because it actually reveals, it actually reveals where our foundation is, what our foundation is built on. And sometimes it's simply that what we've built our life on is taken away from us, like our job, or our success, or our reputation, or our health, or our family, which are all good things, right? But we're not meant to put our faith and our security in those things, things that can be taken away. And in those times, where do we turn to make us feel secure when we feel insecure, when something has just jarred us? Where do we turn to feel secure? Is it just more sinking sand? Or is it actually on the rock? Back to the rock, Jesus and what he says, his word. I remember the, the first time I, I, I lost my big girl job right out of college. I freelanced for a couple years and then, and then I got a real job. <laughs> and I, I worked my tail off for three years and, and I really you know, kind of climbed the ladder and I just felt like, man, this is what I'm meant to do, you know? And I was a graphic designer for the last 15 years and, and I really loved that job. I loved the people I worked with and then one day it was just taken away and I lost my job. 2008, and it was the, the crash, you know, and, and the, the dot-com crash, and, and I remember the paper industry just took a big hit, and I lost my job. And I, I remember just reeling from that experience, not sure what to do, not sure what I felt. I, w I was just confused. I was hurt. I was disoriented. All that time, all that, that devotion and energy I put into that company, and, and I was just let go like that. But what it revealed in me was that I had put a lot of my faith and my hope in my job. And I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it until it was taken away from me. And then all of a sudden I, I was like, oh, this is, this is much harder than and it probably should be. And, and the Lord's like, yeah, I guess you've, you've put a lot of your identity in it, Heather. And by his grace, he opened my eyes to see that and to go, okay, God, then, then help me to rebuild rebuild my, my identity on you, on, on the rock. And, and it also reminds me of, of my daughter, Eden. At the times when she gets hurt and when she gets scared, there's always something she runs to that's greater than herself. It's, it's mama and dada, right? <laughs> it's something more stable than her because we're her constant. Amidst the ever-widening, scary world that she's growing up in, everything's new, and, and yet here's mama and dada who are there 
there for her, there to catch her, there to comfort her, to be her, her stability in an ever-changing world. And Joshua is just as dazed and confused and unsure, but instead of just holding a big council meeting or, or having a vigil service right away or, or going home to cry in his tent, <laughs> he goes to the tent of the Lord. He goes to the tent of the Lord, and, and in dramatic fashion, he throws himself on the ground, and, and he tears his clothes, and he throws dust on his head, which is all symbolic of, a, of someone grieving. That's how the, the Jews would grieve. That's, that's how they very just, they're not, not holding anything back. I love it. And, and he just, he goes before the Lord and, and just cries out to God. That's where he goes first. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., in one of his sermons, he actually, he says, there's a couple different ways that we instinctively react to defeat. It's how, how do we instinctively react to defeat? And, and he says, first, we can become, we can have the choice to become bitter and frustrated right away. We're disappointed and we lash out at God and we lash out at people. Second, we can withdraw when we get hurt, right? We can pull ourselves in into our shells and and, and we can and take our ball and say, you know what, I'm not going to play anymore. <laughs> this, is, this is too hard. Um, this hurts too much. I'm going to quit. Uh, the third reaction is some people adopt a fatalistic attitude toward life. Well, can't do anything to change this. Just uh, a really hard world. I guess it's all determined. I'm just going to surrender to the fates, right? But he said, Martin Luther said, over against these things, hostility, withdrawal, and fatalism, God calls us and invites us toward hope. And boy, when you just hit defeat, there's no way you can just conjure up hope on your own, can you? There's not. We have to cry out to the Lord. God's presence can sometimes be the last place we think of running to when we're hurt. But when our life is built on Him, when the whole reason we're out here in the promised land is because you told us to, then we're gonna pray with hope. <laughs> we're gonna pray with some confidence. Because Joshua actually thought God had failed his people. God hadn't held up his promise. He didn't know what Achan had done. And instead of asking, he just assumes that God's having a fickle day and he's forgotten about them. But look at Joshua in this, in this passage. He doesn't stuff it. He doesn't try to package it. He lays it all out there in its messiness. And, and he, he just puts it right there before the Lord. And, and I love that the permission this gives us to do the same. That sometimes we're, we're hesitant to go to the presence of God because we feel like, well, it's a little too messy right now, right? You know, I got to got to kind of figure it out first and then I'll have the words and then I'll know what to say and, and I can package it a little better. But no, God wants us to come in all that messiness into his presence. Does, does God get the first fruits of our frustration? Does he get the first fruits of our, of our hurt and our humiliation and our anger? Or do we process it with everyone else before we finally go, well, this isn't working and we finally turn to God and we finally pray and ask for his help. Just love the picture of the permission and the example it gives us. What an incredible picture also to the Israelite nation. Think about this, they're grieving. They've just lost 35 of probably their best men. And they're grieving, but what an incredible picture to see their elders and their leaders before the face of God. Before God. 
Prayer is one of the most single influential things you could ever do, ever. Never underestimate the power of prayer and what it says to those around you. I remember my own dad going through some really hard times in his life. And as a little girl, you just soak in everything that your parents are going through, especially my personality type. I was owning a lot of it in those days, but I watched my dad faithfully in that worn out chair where he would meet with the Lord, faithfully pray, faithfully meet with the Lord every day. And that spoke to me more than him ever saying, oh, Heather, you should do your devotions and spend time with the Lord. No, I had a picture of my dad grieving in that chair. And it will always stick with me to this day. What an example to me, even as a little girl. When life is caving in and defeat has a chokehold on us, call out to God. And what I love about this is something everyone can do. It doesn't matter how smart you are or how you know, religious you are, anyone can call out to God. Anyone can call out to the Lord. Sometimes it's when we've hit defeat, that's all we can do. God, help me. And then second, what we see with Joshua is that we see God responding, the way God responds to Joshua's prayer, and, and God responds with this command. In Joshua 7, 10 through 12, the Lord says to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things and they've stolen They've lied, and they've put them within, with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever is among you, whatever among you is devoted to destruction. And this is really interesting to me because here Joshua is on the ground covered in dirt, and it's easy. We could skip right over these first two words right here. It's so easy. But God literally says, get up. Get yourself off the dirt <laughs> and stand up. I have something to give you. I have something to say. And though we could easily skip right over this, though we do, even in our own processing of, of our defeats, and go right into just what God's saying to him, first he says, get off the ground. Now is the time to receive something new. And I love that God doesn't rush him. He lets him all the way you know, into the evening, it says. God doesn't rush him, he lets him grieve, but then he stops him and says, okay, stand up. And I know my tendency and the tendency of my friends to make our, our defeats and our failures and even our traumas become our identity. It's easy to make that what, what our life is kind of circling around. Because it's, it's a big part of our story. It's a big part of my story, the defeats in my life. But it's not the whole story. It's not the whole story. And do you know that's, that's the enemy's plan? His plan is to get you so focused on your hurts, so focused on your, on your defeats and failures and your limitations. Oh boy, he gets to attach a lot of lies to that, doesn't he? He gets to really push you down and hold you down when your focus is on those things. Because he wants to stop you. He wants to do anything in his power to stop you. And if you keep licking your wounds, then you won't heal. And he wants you to. 
Oh, doesn't that hurt? Doesn't that hurt? Oh, yeah. Remember what he said? Remember what you did? You know, he just, he wants you to stay there. And what I'm saying, and what I'm not saying here, and I want to make sure I say this, that there's not room for grief. There is room for grief. There's, there is room for lamenting before the Lord. And there's room for things like clinical depression where you don't even know if this cloud is ever going to lift. God is in no rush. He will complete the good work in you. He will complete the good work in you. And sometimes the best work that God does is when we're just on our face before the Lord crying, crying in front of him and going, God, help me. But it's when we've stayed there too long. It's when we've stayed there too long. When God asks us to stand and he's reaching out his hand and he's saying, I'm here, take my hand. Today I'm inviting you to leave what happened at the foot of my cross. I'm inviting you to leave it there. And yeah, tomorrow you're probably gonna have to do the same thing. You're gonna have to get up and you're gonna have to leave it there again. There's grace for that. But I want you to keep making exchanges with me. And other times, it's simply because of our insecurity and our pride that we keep holding on to that thing. We think that somehow we gotta keep beating ourselves up. (laughs) Our egos have been bruised and and we set out to self-medicate and self-punish ourselves. But we don't realize though is that we're actually committing an even bigger sin. Our pride and our wounded ego is is looking at Jesus and what he did on the cross and saying, well, that's all great and all, but, but my sin, well, it's special. I gotta keep beating myself up for it. What God is asking us to do is accept the forgiveness that is already paid in full on the cross. Accept it and lay it down. Lay it down. Jesus died for everything, everything. You're no special, you're no special case. Everything. Sometimes until we get back up and we leave it at the cross, we can't actually receive what God wants to do next because our arms are too full, right? Our ears are full of the accusations. Our ears are full of those hurtful words. And our lives are full of just that heartache. And until we lay it down and make those exchanges with the Lord, we can't receive what he has for us next. Beth Moore, I love, I love what she says. She says, we all have times where we fall into the pit. We all have times where we've hit rock bottom, but we should get concerned when we start to feel at home there, when we start to decorate our pit. We should get concerned. Oh, this feels cozy here. I think I'll make it home. No, God never intended us to live in the pit, right? Right? He's reaching his hand down going, come on, will you take my hand? Take my hand, I have something better. I have something better. I remember when my... My, uh, my first boyfriend in college, uh, let's just be honest, broke up with me. <laughs> I was really hurt. We had been dating for a while, and I could see, I could see it all. I could see our life together, um, and I, I just remember reeling in disappointment and hurt and rejection. And I, I'll just be honest, I talked about it a lot <laughs> with a lot of my friends. I did a lot of out, out loud processing with my girlfriends, then I did a lot of furious journaling in my journal about like what I really thought about this guy. <laughs> and it was, God gave me a lot of space to you know, process and, and grieve. And, and, and one day though, he said, okay, you're done. You're done. You gotta stop talking about it. I'm like, what? 
I mean, it was like a foreign concept. I knew it must be the Lord because I'm like, that would not be, I feel so justified in my hurt right now. I could keep talking about this for the rest of the year. But the Lord said, no, it's actually gonna harm you more than it's gonna help you if you keep going. I said, I want you to leave it here and I want you to stop talking about it. Oh, was that hard. Oh, was that hard not to be like, it still hurts. I wanna talk about it. But God's like, nope, leave it at my cross. Leave it at the cross. Boy, that was hard to get back up, to stand up. Now, what we see next in the, in the passage is, how, is God tells Joshua the truth. So he goes into the truth of what really happened. Joshua wouldn't have known this if God hadn't revealed it to him. It's because of one man's sin. It wasn't because of God's failure or because of him being unfaithful. It was just simply Achan and his sin. And this is so true of failure. Sometimes we're forced to actually see the truth in a way that, that we wouldn't on just a good day. Our failures have a way of stirring up the truth, not just about ourselves, but about the situation. And, and it reveals a lot of our blind spots, doesn't it? It reveals some of those insecurities, some of that pride. And, and it's hard. Failure is a hard but good teacher at times. I know the Lord has been real clear with me in this new season. I've been... Uh, just have a, a new job and, and a new career, complete change from what I was doing before. And, and I remember thinking, wow, I'm just going to go for this. And the Lord said, nope, this is going to be a season where you're going to learn. You're going to be humbled. You're going to fail. And there's grace for that. And I'm a, a bit of a perfectionist at times, especially when I want to do a good job. And, and the Lord's like, nope, nope. You're just gonna get used to it right now. This is gonna be not easy. And, and it's gonna be a learning curve for you. And I'm like, oh, that's so very comforting, God. Thank you. Thank you for that word. <laughs> but it has kept me, kept me soft to correction in this season because it is so new for me uh, to be at a church and not behind a computer screen designing all day. And, and it, is, it is using different muscles I haven't used in a, in a long time. And, and, and he's just said, I want you to be humble. This is a time to learn. And so there's, there's seasons in our lives where we, whoa, we really learn a lot about ourselves and we see those weaknesses uh, shine through because of the things that we trip over in life. But what I love about the Lord is that he doesn't just use failure to reveal, he uses failure to really guide us through what's going on. And, and this is what he does with Joshua. He doesn't just reveal the problem, he actually gives him really clear instruction about how to deal with the problem and, and how to turn back to the Lord. And I love that because if I'm honest, sometimes when I see my failures, I already feel defeated before I even begin. When I see things that are hard, sometimes I'm like, whoa, that's gonna take a lot. And I just back away because I know what it's gonna entail. And yet God is so good. He takes us by the hand. This is not just, you know, here, you, here's your failure. Well, whoops, you know, sorry, it's, you know, sorry for you. It, it's no, like I'm here. I'm here to walk you through this. And I'm gonna guide you step by step through this. And what's interesting is, is you read about how God instructs Joshua to find this needle in a haystack, this one man in millions. <laughs> and every tribe comes before the Lord until you know, the tribe of Judah comes, and he's like, yep, this is the tribe. And, then, and I don't know how they do this, but God's so clear with, with Joshua. He's like, I'm gonna identify who this guy is. And then it goes down to every family, and he's like, here's the family, and, and here's, here's the, the, the people group, and here's the family, and then here's the man. And what's interesting to me is that Akin, this whole time, he's just like, 
I think I'm still gonna get away with this. <laughs> I mean, you think about watching all the nations come before the Lord and then it gets narrowed down and narrowed down and narrowed down and you're just standing there. And even then, Joshua has to say, Akin, I want you to be honest. I want you to give glory to God by being honest right now. Tell us what you did. And finally, he confesses. And what I love is that there's no hiding anything from God. It is easy for us to think, you know what, that failure, that weakness of mine, I'm just gonna ignore it. I'm just gonna pretend it's not there. But God sees it. He sees it all. There's no hiding anything from the Lord. And, and we see that with, with how Joshua is told to deal with, with Achan. When our ugly is exposed and, and we get a good look at our flaws, boy, it's hard. It's easy to wanna deflect some of that pain and, and blame God and blame others and get upset and and yet, boy, is it an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to grow. And when we feel that pain of, of oh, I just, I don't know, this is, this is uncomfortable, this is hard, remembering there's, there's the Lord to take your hand and walk you through this. Lastly, in the beginning of chapter eight, so we've gone through the chapter, chapter seven, but lastly, in the beginning of chapter eight, what I love lastly is the Lord commissions, recommissions the Israelite people. And they, he actually tells them, okay, now, now that you've dealt with, with this sin, I, I want you to try again. So in Joshua 8, one through two, it says, then the Lord said to Joshua, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. Take the whole army with you. Go up and attack the city of Ai. I have delivered you into the, the hands of the king of Ai, his people, the city, and his land. You shall do to I and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except you may carry off the plunder and livestock for yourselves this time. The goodness of the Lord. But just think about this. Think about the attitude, especially of those 3,000 men who went up that hill, telling them, okay, now go again. I don't know about you, but this is the hardest part for me. This is the hardest part. I can, you know, I can, I can go to God, I can cry out to God, I can even lay it down and... And I can even look at you know, what I need to grow in and, and what I need to work on with the Lord, but do not make me go back up that mountain, God. Do not make me try again. I don't wanna go back up there. That feels vulnerable, that doesn't feel safe. Heck, I know it's not safe. I got my butt whooped last time I went up that mountain. Why, why would you ask me to go again? To go again, talk about Joshua and Israelites having faith in the Lord. Are you gonna be with us this time, God? Are you gonna be with us? What I love is that God knows, knows that we need to be reminded of our purpose most after we've failed, most after we've fallen, because it is disorienting. And we need to regain what we've lost, that purpose that's bigger than ourselves, that vision and hope for the future, wherever it is. It doesn't feel like it's there when you're in it. But Hebrews 12, one through three says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses who've had their own share of failures, <laughs> let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Oh, what a, the joy set before him. I mean, think about what Jesus knew he was gonna go through and yet his love for us compelled him. The bigger purpose for his life compelled him toward the cross, scorning its shame because he had something bigger he was looking at than just his pain and his circumstance. He had something, his eyes were on, on what he was gonna do for us, his love for us, something bigger than himself. And I told a, a story recently at the summer series, our women's summer series, and, and uh, it was, uh, what I realized was that when I, when I came up this summer, I realized, oh my goodness, it's been two years since I, I, I gave my first sermon to more than just like 20 people. <laughs> my first sermon, two years, and, and it all just kind of came back to me in that moment when I stood there. I felt like a, you know, felt like, whoa, you know, um, deja vu a little bit. And, and I remember, I just brought me back to that moment. That day, the first day I was ever gonna preach, uh, I had my very first panic attack. <laughs> and I can't, I mean, I, you almost don't think they're real until you go through one. <laughs> and I mean, I was literally on the floor in a fetal position. I couldn't move. I was just shaking. I was just totally overcome by anxiety and fear. And, and I remember my baby girl didn't know, Mama, are you okay? And my husband's like, Honey, are you okay? You know, <laughs> and they didn't know what to do with me. I, I think my husband prayed for me at one point. Uh, I couldn't eat. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I think I might just call Vicky and Penny and tell them I'm sick. Maybe, maybe that, you know, because you start thinking like, how can I get out of this? This is so hard. And, and I remember thinking, God, you're the one who got me into this. It, it, what, you gotta help me. You've gotta help me. You got me into this. And, and I remember somehow, by his, by his strength, not mine, he got me off that floor. And for some reason, I knew that I just had the, my mind was just zeroed in on, I just need somebody to pray for me. I, I, can't, I can't do this alone. I'm gonna need some, maybe if I can find one person, you know, here at the church that will pray for me. Well, I found two, and they were in the Welcome Center, and I came in, and I was like, can you guys pray for me? And they're like, yeah, sure. And, and so they, they just put their, their hands on me and just started praying, and, and I remember I got really hot. I was like, whew, it's really, you'd think they'd turn the air down for one of these events. But then all of a sudden I felt more and more hands on my back and, and I looked up and there were probably 10 women around me just praying for me. I'm like, wow, thank you, Lord, I need this. I mean, I was desperate. <laughs> and uh, at one point I said, isn't it hot in here? And I, I was just laughing because I literally sweat. is like, run, and they're like, actually, we're freezing. And I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, God must be up to something. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Okay, Lord, more, whatever you're doing. And, and then one girl said, uh, I know this is going to sound crazy, but, but would you mind if I do so? I was like, girl, you just go for it. At this point, I am so desperate. You just go for it. Whatever you want to do, I'm game. And she, she goes, okay, well, in the name of Jesus, I just command fear to leave. And she just, whoo, just brushed her shoulders right over, the, brushed right over the top of my shoulders. And when she did that, from just a zero to a 10, I just broke. Something in me just broke. And I just started to bawl. I'm like, out of nowhere. I'm just like, ha, ha, ha. I mean, deep, deep cries. And it, and it just, it left. Whatever it was, whatever it was that had me down on the floor was gone. And I remember thinking, okay, God, 
So you did hold up the end, your end of the bargain. Wow, and I was just flooded with this peace. I was still hungry, I was still weak, but I, I knew that I could do it with his strength because he had just, boy, he had just come through for me. And I, I can't tell you how many times I, I go back to that, that memory and go, God, you're so faithful to give your kids what they need to do the things you're calling them to do. And, this, and I've leaned on this verse time and time again. My grace is sufficient for you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Oh boy, emptying of yourself and going, God, just more of you, more of you. His grace really is sufficient. His grace really is sufficient. For some reason, I'm crazy enough to believe that, that, <laughs> that, that my love for God and the purpose that he has in my life is greater than my fear of failing. And that if I keep holding on to him, somehow he's going to get me through. And boy, has he. He really has. We keep going because of the call of God on our life. And we have to have our eyes fixed on, God, what do you have me here for? Lord, you have a bigger purpose, though, than just my life. Why do you have me here? I'm part of a bigger story because God has a purpose for every single one of us. We all get to play. We all get to play. We all have a role in the body of Christ. And finding that and discovering that and, and looking in Scripture and getting on our face before the Lord and saying, God, what do you have me here for? Show me what my purpose is, God. Romans 8:28 and we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Friends, if God has called you to something, if you know okay, he's called me to this, then keep going. Don't quit until he's called you to something else. Don't quit. And the ability to not quit even in adversity, even even when you when you trip and fall, the ability to get back up is called grit. I love this word, grit. And Angela Duckworth has a really great TED talk on grit, and she's a psychologist, and she calls grit purpose and perseverance for the long haul. I love that. Purpose and perseverance for the long haul. And Romans 5, three through five says this, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There is a bigger picture than just what we're facing today and just our stories. There's a bigger picture of what God's doing in this world, his plan, his kingdom coming, right? And it says we boast in the hope of the glory of God when the kingdom is fully here, when Christ returns, because we know the end of the story, don't we? We know. We have this hope of the glory of God, but we also have hope now that he's actually changing us. He's changing us now and that there's this hope that, that we're becoming more like Christ, more like Christ. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of the shame and the, the joy set before him and the shame that he scorned and, and the joy set before him, because of what he did on the cross, we have hope. We have hope. 
Defeat is no longer the end of the story for us. Defeat is no longer the end of the story for us. By his grace and by his help, we're able to move beyond our temporary defeats and we're reminded, we're reminded of the story of God's redemptive work, not only in our lives, but in this world, in this world, amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and we're just gonna enter some ministry time and wait on the Lord for a little bit. Say, God, what do you have to say for us today? Holy Spirit, we just ask your presence would come real close to us today. God, would you, would you reach your hand down right now? And would you just remind us that you're with us, that you see us and that you long to, to speak life into us, hope into us, God. We're just gonna wait on your spirit right now. Just come, Lord. Come, more, Lord. Mm. And just right away, I got the same picture I had last night, and uh, it was of a, a little girl and her head was just hanging down real low, just toward the ground. And, and the Lord just took, took your chin and he just lifted it up and he said, look at me, look at me. And, and he just, just said right now, he said, you know, hope can, can seem like some really just inconsequential, fleeting kind of feeling. But hope is powerful. Real hope actually gives you the ability to put your head up and look into the eyes of Jesus. And hope is something that I think the Lord wants to deposit in us, because it's not something we conjure up inside of ourselves. I just need to be more hopeful. Hey, good luck. Um, it's, it's a gift from God. I really believe that hope is something he gives us, and it enables us to keep moving forward. And so if, if that's you, if you just hope is something that, that you long for and need, I invite you to come forward for prayer and and I had two more things that the Lord wanted me to share. Um, not just hope, but also this word. He gave me the word scars. And I just had a picture of like someone that had like a scar, a literal scar um, on their arm. And he said, it still hurts. Someone here still has a, a hurt in their life that's, yeah, it's scarred over, but it still really hurts. And he said, I wanna take the sting of that away. And I don't think it's physical. I think it's, I think it's emotional. I think it's relational something that has happened in the past that it still hurts. And I just, it was so cool as I was praying about it, he's like, I wanna take away the sting. And I want that person to proudly say, hey, you see this scar? This scar? Let me tell you about this scar. Let me tell you what happened. And let me tell you about how God healed me. And, and it was as though he wanted to give you an experience of his healing that was gonna trump the pain of that one right? He was going to trumpet. And when you looked at that scar, you saw Jesus. You saw how he healed you, how he took the pain away and enabled you to walk forward through that. So if, if that's you and there's just something that's just been weighing on you still, he wants, he wants to, to take away the sting. And the last one was this morning, I got the word chronic neck pain. And so if, if anyone here just has, um, if you 
if you even just woke up with a really bad crick in your neck, <laughs> let's pray for that. But if you've had chronic neck pain and it's been something that you've been dealing with for a while, I just think the Lord's highlighting you and saying, hey, come forward and receive prayer today. There's hope that he's not done and that it's, it's worth continuing to come forward and, and asking for, God, I need your healing. So if those are you, we're gonna end with a, a worship song here and just come forward. Any of you that feel like hope is something that has just been elusive and, and you need that today, um, scars that have been still just, that sting with pain, come forward. And, and anyone that has any kind of physical need today, oh, we believe that the Lord heals. And it is so exciting when he does because the kingdom's coming in its fullness and we get to see it break through in sweet ways and watch people walk out of here pain-free. I mean, it has happened time and time again. And it is so exciting to see that God is alive and at work in our midst. So if that's you, just come forward and get prayer today. And if we can have women pray with women and, and men pray with men, we believe everyone here can pray. So if you, if you see someone come forward and they don't have someone praying for them, just move, move forward. Take a friend with you <laughs> and move forward and just pray and bless what God's doing. Come on forward. song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you
thank you that the hope that you give us is something we can really we can really hold on to in times where all we feel is is confusion and and darkness god would you would you just speak into every area of our lives god i would just give you permission to to reach down Let your power just come. Hmm. God, would you just deposit in every one of us just a deeper understanding of the purpose and the call that you have on our lives. God, remind us of why you have us here. There's no exceptions to the purpose of God. Every single one of us here, you included, have a purpose and a call on your life. And though the enemy might be trying to tell you different, just ask for more faith. Say, God, give me faith to believe that you have a purpose and call on my life and that you would not give up, that you would continue to lift your head and look in the eyes of your loving Savior who chose you. (laughs) I just pray that the truth of that would just resonate with us the rest of the week, God. You would encourage us to keep going and you take our hand. I just speak blessing over everyone here in the name of Jesus. God, watch over them and their families. Be with them this week. Amen. Well, bless you guys and have a wonderful afternoon. If you're still getting prayer, just continue to do so. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bless you.